Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Fourth Bridge passengers? This is Stephen, Josh, and Ben from Phantology with the promised first part review of Rhythm of War. We're able to get this one out fairly quickly since we've already read the first part of Rhythm of War from the pre-release chapters. In fact, it probably could have been out even earlier than now, but we thought we'd wait until the book has been out for a little bit so people can read and then you know come back here and review a little bit or, or get our humorous takes on how things are going. So guys, as we record, the book came out earlier today and hype and excitement level could probably not be any higher, at least for me personally. Definitely through the roof. It is an indication of how much we love our fans that we are willing to take this hour and some minutes out of our night that we could spend reading because this is definitely like 60 some pages that I would be consuming right now, but instead we're doing this. Ooh, quick, quick reader. A minute oh, a page, I don't know. Huh? A minute a page, that's real, dude. That's like spending twelve hundred minutes reading this book. Yeah, which is which is a while. Let's uh, not do the math there and figure out how much of our life we're spending <laughs> reading these books. <laughs> not that it's not uh, time well spent. <laughs> I believe that's a hundred hours, right? Uh, the audiobook no, is no, no, fifty-seven, no. so we could probably just go from there, I Wait, guess. Yeah, that was terrible. Josh, that's that's twenty part. hours if you want to be technical yeah. about it. So that would be like I'm doing three x speed. Maybe I don't do a minute a page. Maybe I'll do a minute and a half per page. I don't know. You just have to have super concentration as you're reading. Anyway, the pre-release launch party just wrapped up. Sanderson was broadcasting from Evermore, a local place in Utah that I have attended. Dang, I should have just hung out there a little bit and snuck in. Maybe uh, for KOW Book 5, that is our Phantology goal, to get some kind of invitation to that release party. My goal is to get an arc so that we don't have to sit here recording a podcast while we could be reading. Yeah, we book. should get arcs for all these books. Why are we waiting? <laughs> I I have not confession time. I have not even finished Don Shard yet, so I really shouldn't be talking. Oh. All right. Well, we'll try to avoid spoilers for Don Shard. That's actually good to know because no, I might you can spoil it. You, you can spoil. You can spoil some things. It, it's just there's minor crossovers in part one, so we may just point out where those are. Yeah. We should let listeners know anyway. All right, so let's get to it. Like you said, we're going to do an episode for each of the the five parts, five parts to the book, as usual. Part one was all released already. And if you like Phantology, you can find those episodes as well as other episodes on Cosmere stuff, on Wheel of Time stuff, Harry Potter, Joe Abercrombie, Dresden, etc. You can find all that stuff online at www.phantologybooks.com and you can support the channel at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books and of course you can always listen and like and subscribe and tell your friends about the channel and that will help us get closer to our arc which is our ultimate goal and shout out to steven he's done a really good job with um, each of these chapter these pre-release chapters if you want a really deep dive you can go listen to the podcast episodes 
or we have all of them sorted into um, a YouTube playlist that you can go just kind of burn through. So if you want a really deep dive with some good takes, then go check those out. And there's a lot of Phantology guarantees. And, you know, Stephen, when you're kind of like explaining what our podcast is, I dare you to find another podcast where you can list Harry Potter and Joel Abercrombie right next to each other in the same sentence. Doesn't exist. It, I'll tell you Honestly, right now. It probably doesn't exist. There are some other podcasts that cover fan, the fantasy book landscape, but those are two. Uh, that's a pretty good dichotomy there. I mean, obviously, we've made a lot of good friends in this space. There's a lot of great, you know, we can shout out some fantasy book podcast people out there. But I'm just saying, we have a lot of, like, a big, a wide range of coverage here. All right. So to start off with part one. So let's talk about the prologue. Uh, this is, once again, another look at the fateful night of Gavilar's assassination. And this time it's through Navani's point of view. So what stood out for you guys? What's up for you guys for this prologue? Dude, Gavilar is an a-hole to keep this family friendly. He was hey, like... a-hole is used in the book in part one, actually. So uh, it's a little edgy. It's a little edgy. Go on, Brandon Sanders. That was, I think, the first uh, real-world swear word in, in his books. Um, I suppose that that, that specific um, anatomy part of the body occurs... In, Ro- in Roshar as well. So I guess it's an in-world swear too. We can't assume that. <laughs> so so Gavilar was definitely an a-hole. And it actually under- helps us understand why Navani was like pretty set on moving on from him very quickly. You know, like not that she yeah. did because Dalinar is kind of prudish about these things. But like she was in a loveless marriage for a very long time. She mentions that he's gotten worse lately. But from what we see here, yeah, he's a total jerk. You know, and this is, I completely agree with what you guys are saying, but we also get some perspective in Navani here. Mm-hmm. This is not to in any way to like justify anything that he did because that was like definitely um, abusive in more ways than one. But like she, she was, you know, not being very nice to him either. You know, she was pressing his buttons and getting him riled up. And then, we see after he's dead, she doesn't really realize the fact that she's dead, but she more goes for, you know, the things like the artifact that was on his body, right? She doesn't process it in how we might expect her to. Yeah, yeah she's more concerned with holding everything together afterwards. There's no real grief stricken widow thing happening. But it was it was more than that. She like went and knelt over his corpse and looked for the uh the, the mysterious void light storm light yeah whatever this this spear was yeah i'm sorry but if you're like first thing on seeing uh, your husband's corpse even if you didn't like love him that much was to go scavenge his body for an artifact you just found out about like that's you know that's a definite different side of navani that i don't think we've seen before dude gotta get that loot <laughs> <laughs> am i right destiny players <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. And we also saw the side of her that was fairly insecure. You know, she talks about not really having this royal upbringing and she's trying to hold herself things together at this event the best she can with almost no support from Gavilar or from any of the other high princes. You know, I mean, Dalinar's here are just drunk, right? Uh, which we understand more uh, after reading Oathbringer. 
so we get that about her uh, a little bit more. I mean, there's there's also some good Cosmere information from this chapter. The heralds are around. I kind of wonder, like, why do they like Gavilar so much? I'm also wondering if all ten of them were present in some capacity. So we get Nail and Calic directly there. It's hinted that Shalash was there. Yezron was probably there somewhere drunk. I mean, I'm guessing the others were around as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely. So, okay, this is one question. Do you think that he's going to keep this repetitive prologue chapter going after the first five foot arc? Ooh, probably not. I don't think so. You don't think so? Okay, I think he's so going to switch to something else. That's fair. Yeah, so I guess then I was going to say it depends how much more information we think we expect we're going to receive about that night in the next book. True. We've only got one more before the, the arc is over. Right. Hmm. I'm not sure. that I would hold off on a phantology guarantee with that one, Stephen. All right, no guarantee you're there yet. We'll, we'll get to guarantees. Another thing we get is more information about cosmeric travel. They talk about boxes of stuff going back and forth from Braze. They mentioned Braze specifically. This is Gavilar and his mysterious shadowy figures who are the heralds. And then uh, these spears of void light, you know, what happened to them? Gavilar has a bunch of them. And are they even void light? Are they something else? We get more of this at the end of part one when we finally do recover the spear from Zeth. And there is one small thing where Gavilar kind of looks towards like nothing in the air for a brief second. And it's weird. And people are speculating that he might have bonded a sprint. Maybe like a jerk sprint has a jerk joined sprint. to him. So he's definitely a dust bringer. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that he would have died like that, right? Had he bonded a sprint. I mean, I don't think he's bonded a sprint because... If you have that bond, then you're able to heal yourself with Stormlight, right? And he he died like a normal person would die. And so unless it was like oh, yet another case of somebody like just barely about to swear the first ideal and failing to. And plus, didn't he was like wielding a shard blade as well? Yeah, these are all good points. These are all good points. But my thing is, are we even sure Gavilar is dead? I mean... Probably. Otherwise, someone would have commented on it, right? Well, Seems like a massive I mean, conspiracy. I mean, yeah, Yasna pulled it off. Like, if she if she didn't come back, then no one would. Well, have there was no body. Chance. We knew that there was no body. They they've got Gavilar's body here. Well, for a few minutes, we don't know what happens to the body afterwards. Yeah, this might be a full on tinfoil hat conspiracy theory I, here, Josh. I don't think so, man. Because you think the singers were around him. The singers knew that what he was up to. Maybe they went and like called him off. I don't know. There, there's probably somebody's going to be able to easily debunk this, but I'm just saying. <laughs> all right. We're all about throwing theories out there. So, okay. So Josh's theory is Gavilar is still alive in our, in our episode leading up to the release of Rhythm of War. Josh also thought your theory might've been a spaceship. So these are the types of theories that Josh brings to the table. <laughs> One of them will probably be right. And you'll be okay, a genius. Wait, wait a second. In Don Shard, I just read a part last night where uh, they were doing some stuff with Fabrials and they made a comment like, oh yeah, we don't want to send you shooting up to the stratosphere. Spaceship. Right. There it is. And actually, we just uh, we just listened to Sanderson read a exclusive for a future event years ahead once the uh, once the Cosmere goes out into space. So it will happen. We, we know it's going to happen. I think Sanderson was accidentally reading a passage from Skyward when he was reading that. <laughs> that could work too. 
All right. So going past the prologue, this book starts a year after Oathbringer, which is an interesting decision. So there's a big time skip. And throughout all of part one, we're dealing with this time skip and trying to figure out what has happened since. So a few things that I've noted down are there a lot more Night Radiance. It said there's about 300 Windrunners. Bridge 4 has leveled up. None has made it to the fourth ideal yet, but a lot of them have their own groups of Squires. We need more Honor Spren, though, because that's the bottleneck here. They would have had more Windrunners if they were more willing Honor Spren. Technology has advanced quite a bit. Navani has been doing very well and proving Gavilar wrong in some of the things that he was saying about her. And now we have a flying fourth bridge, which is basically a airship. And we're going, I'm, I'm assuming this will become more and more advanced as this book goes on. And Shadesmar is pretty widely known and used. They talk about going in and out of Shadesmar quite a bit. And I think there's some other things as well, but those were like the main events. What'd you guys think of the time skip? I, when I was first getting introduced to this idea, I thought it was a little controversial. I, I honestly, I didn't really love it at first. Yeah, especially because on top of the technological technological advances we also have a lot of advances in terms of the amount of knights radiant that exists in the world right so like pretty yeah. much every order has uh, things happening and we also have the different orders for the parshendi that they've developed into right so, the, so the fused have their nine orders that are built out fairly well right. we've even got like stone wards now we were looking forward to kind of seeing how these guys developed and now here they are already yeah and so it's kind of tough because as readers, we've been privy to the most important events of Roshar happening kind of right before our eyes, right? And and watching as our favorite characters do like make these leaps and bounds in terms of the magic system. And now mm -hmm. it seems like they took a lot of leaps and bounds while we weren't watching. And so that was pretty jarring. So I, I kind of have a different take than you guys. I thought it was fine. I think that we are moving towards the conclusion of this first set of five books. And he spent a lot of time in the first couple books really kind of easing you into the magic system so that he could take some of these more uh, licenses mm -hmm. as we move towards the end. And honestly, in a lot of books, in a lot of series, these kind of j time t jumps between books are pretty normal, I think. And so I didn't have a problem with it very much at all. I was just excited to see what was going on. And he's talked about how he he had the first three books really heavily plotted out. And now that he got to the fourth book, he had a uh, he had to spend more time with it, revising and getting opinions from beta readers and trying to figure out how to piece things together. And so maybe that was kind of part of the decision he was making as he plotted out the wider, you know, the, the rest of the, the whole entire series. So one thing that's a little bit weird to me is that like automatic, like when we meet our characters again, they are all still struggling in the exact same ways that they were struggling before mentally. Like I'm thinking specifically of Shalon and Kaladin here that are having those same mental term like battles. Yeah. And so it seems like that would have been continuing on for that year and hopefully they would have made a lot of progress. And if they haven't, then it seems strange that they're already starting to make progress or have these things happen to them right when we jump back into it. You know what I mean? I mean, I would say Kaladin's gotten worse. Yeah, in that's, the past what, that's year. what I'm thinking. Same with Shalon. Yeah, I guess that's true. But like, again, it just feels very convenient that like after a year of things happening continuously, we're jumping back into it. And suddenly Dalinar is picking this exact moment to release Kaladin from duty. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. 
I, I don't know. This is when Kaladin went on a mission to rescue his family. And then as soon as he did that, Dalinar was like, all right, let's, mm-hmm. you know, retire you. I, I, I get what you're saying, but I think that it's handled well enough that it wasn't that jarring for me. You know, like Kaladin has not stayed the same. He's, like you said, gotten a lot worse. And Shallan, yes and no. I mean, in some ways she's gotten more stable, but in other ways she's gotten a lot worse. There's something too. lurking there that seems pretty yeah. bad for Shallan. Okay, that's fair. I, I think it was handled well. I'm just saying that that's a pitfall of doing a time jump like this. Is it, it? You have to kind of build, not necessarily plot armor, but like, I don't know, just kind of realize that this that this is kind you of have to You have to make your bit. readers accept that there's been, they've missed some things, but also now important things are happening. And the things they missed like aren't super important. We'll talk about them a little bit, but the story's here. Here we go. Yeah. After a year. And so so along with this time jump, we're also thrown into a climax, which is something that, that Sanderson has talked a lot about, right? Yeah. The climax start. Interesting. Not something most books do. Kind of a bold choice. Well, well, well I feel like most books start with like some crazy event happening for like the first few pages. And then that's the popular thing, right? Like start in the yeah. action, get you hooked. Yeah. Dresden will always fight a monster in the first chapter of the book and then move on to doing other things but i think that this is really cool i think you can see a lot of sanderson adapting to the criticisms that came from oathbringer of having a little bit of a slow start and getting being kind of hard to get into you can tell that he took that to heart i mean i don't know if that was the exact impetus i don't think i've heard him say that but that's definitely what it feels like to me is we're gonna he's gonna say well let's try something different and obviously you can only do this in an extended series where people have already read thousands of pages so it's fine to start off with a big climax because really you're talking about a plot that extends over a series, not just for one book. So if you have, it doesn't necessarily matter like where your peaks and valleys are in terms of plot speed. Yeah. I was just also going to say that I think I would have enjoyed it even more had I not been reading the pre-release chapters week by week, because I think it would have felt even more like building 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 climax than you know reading yeah the yeah for sure yeah so, i mean the pre-release chapters are cool but it's not nearly as exciting as holding the book and seeing the art and turning the pages right like just looking at the tour website it's just not the same maybe also, we shouldn't read them <laughs> my last comment is that i realized how much reading i actually do on the internet because i didn't feel like i read that much rhythm of war pre-release chapters over the course of like the last four months or however long it's been re- being released. But then you look and it's like 25% of the book. That means I read like what? 250 pages or 300 pages. Yeah. Like, I think I started today on page 270 about. Yeah. So that means I read 300 pages without even like really realizing it just because I would uh, treat it like I was surfing the internet. Yeah. I've, I've definitely read a lot of Reddit. I would not be surprised if that was in the thousands of pages at this point. <laughs> so Let's think about why this was a climax, though. Like, what what all happened? So, first of all, we had Kaladin visiting his homeland, right? And rescuing yeah, his parents. Yeah, so Kaladin back to Hearthstone, take two. The yeah. first one in Oathbringer didn't go super well. He's trying again in Rhythm of War. <laughs> and I think this one was a this was the, the return that everybody was hoping for. But so, but this was also part of it was to was to help capture the mink, right? Yeah, they needed to get him, and then a part of that was was Hearthstone. The Mink has been a minor character so far. Later on, he provides some military strategy to Dalinar. I could see him being kind of cool, 
going forward. Yeah. But for now, we know he's important. My prediction for the mink is that he's going to be the the downfall of Teravangian and kind of Ooh, I can, okay, okay. predict what he's going to do. And he's going to be like the, the thing that the diagram did not see coming. You know, okay. was the mm. rest of the mink. It's like I mean, Dalinar with military strategy and actual political savvy. Yeah. I, so, okay. So we got the mink. We also have Kaladin showing down this, these group of, of fused that have this thing that drains his powers and he like totally still owns them because he's, he's pro with his spear, even without his stormlight. That was a super fun scene, right? Yeah. To fill in a, a few gaps there. So he fights Leshwi <laughs> for a while. Leshwi is the the heavenly one that Moash killed. And then she came back and she's like, Moash, I respect you. Let's call you Vire now and give you a magic dagger. Go kill a herald. And also here's an honor blade. That's Leshwi summed up. And Kaladin and Leshwi seem to have this like code of honor almost amongst themselves. Like they they're always like pair off and fight. Yeah they're, yeah, they're total frenemies. People have shipped them even at this point. So he fights with her for a while and then they break off and he fights with this other type of fuse that mimics Elskaller type powers, we think. This one's called Lesion, the Pursuer, and he busts out this Fabriol that sucks away his Stormlight, like you said. Ben and Kaladin is able to kill him using his basic spear training. And this is so impressive, actually, when Lesion comes back He's like, that thing didn't work. The radiant still killed me, or the 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 night's radiant still killed me. You know, what's what's going on here? Yeah, he's he's definitely trying to save face there a little bit. I think he knows that it worked. And it also kind of sets up this thing going forward where Galvin's gonna have like a somebody kind of trying to come and kill him, even though he's yeah, just like retired and is just here. like a just like a surgeon now, you know. So Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. I think it's going to be, I think that this is setting up a really cool dynamic here of giving us another small villain that, that Kaladin has to take out. So, yeah, because here's the thing. We, yes. With Zeth, we were all looking forward to the moment that Zeth and Kaladin would throw down, right? So, are we, is this going to be something similar? But if so, we have to have like this pursuer guy kind of popping up every now and then so we're remind, we are reminded of him. Oh, I think we'll see that. Yeah, because by the end of part one, he doesn't really pop up again. Nah, he's he's still off in Kolinar, hanging out with with uh, you know the nine, coming up with the battle strategy. He'll probably force his way onto the raid or something or do something. I mean, it's noted that this guy is infamously a, a hothead. Yeah, but to go to your point, Josh, of who our villains are, we talked about this in Oathbringer. We're kind of out of personal villains we really only have moash left since we killed off amram and we killed off sedius and so now i guess we go to people like lesion uh, i guess fused like rabanael who comes in a new fused seems fairly uh what we're, we're a little concerned about her she has infamously uh orchestrated a pandemic that wiped out a tenth of the population in the past and she's going to be a part of this raid and she's controlling the nine a little bit, or they listen to her. So there are some villains being set up here, but they're kind of new characters. Yeah, I, I think I have a lot of hope for these characters with the way that Sanderson is orchestrating them. I personally think that Sanderson does more force of nature villains even a little bit better than he does like personal bad guy villains. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I think he did Amram and Sadius pretty well, but 
in thinking about the Mistborn trilogy, and this is going to be some spoilers for Mistborn, not like too heavy, but I never really thought that like, yeah, like Zane, we weren't really ever too concerned about it. Yeah. Zane and like Ellen's father. Like I remember them being Straff, done. Well. Yeah. 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 Lord Straff to like boost the tension in the series and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, I was never too concerned about like their impact that they were going to have on their characters. Right, but when you get into things like the deepness, that had a really cool right. effect by the end. We'll avoid yeah. the major spoiler there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is just kind of like generally talking about about it. Yeah, I agree. It's like it's hard to care about these personal vendettas when we have world-ending events in in the mix. So, it's it's definitely tough. Okay, so for Kaladin, what was the moment that we need to remember from part 1 for you guys for him? Uh, well, I think it the thing that's going to set up the rest of everything is his decision to become a surgeon, right? Like that's where kind of part one okay. was taking him. I think that the the moment itself was when he froze in confronting Moash in the basement of the keep. One of the darkest right. moments in Stormlight for sure. Yeah. You could see that he had personal progress because he was trying to save. Um, he was trying to save Roshan, yeah. Yeah, Roshan, he was trying to save him, whereas maybe at the beginning of the series, he might have even let him die because he was a light eyes that was responsible for a lot of the Last pain. time he was around him, he punched him in the face. So. <laughs> that was that was also an awesome scene. <laughs> but but so so in some ways, we've seen Kaladin grow a lot because he's now has um, a respect for these people or at least a pity for these people that he used to disdain. But now he couldn't protect them and froze and, and allowed him to die. So I think that... And, in terms of one scene being very important for Kaladin's arc, I think it's that mm-hmm. scene. Yep, I, I think both of those scenes are huge. You're going to play a lot into it. For me, the moment that I remembered was a smaller scene is when he was coming back to Urethiru and he's just trying to hold it together because Dalinar has just told him he's going to be reassigned and things are spiraling out of control. His depression's going crazy and he's walking through. I mean, you can tell he's just got this huge weight in his stomach and he's feeling all of the terrible, depressing feelings. And he goes into his apartment or whatever, sinks down next to the door, completely falls apart. And Syl gets Adolin to come in and basically rescue him. I thought that was an awesome moment. And actually, Sanderson has said that that was his favorite chapter in this uh, in part one. He in his email today that he's, he sent out all of his favorite chapters and his most difficult to write chapters. And I think he really enjoyed writing that sequence. Yeah, I think he definitely knows something that a lot of people were going to connect to. And I think at this point, we all need an Adolin in our lives a little bit, you know? For sure. For yeah. sure. All right. So let's go past Kaladin onto Navani. So we talked about this in Oathbringer, but Navani has always been a great character, but not one that we've seen enough of in terms of point of view. She's always kind of been more on the sidelines and we, and we just needed more time on screen, more time for her to shine. And so she's getting it here. She is the voice of the chapter headings, the epigraphs there with this lecture series that have a good Mistborn metal crossover. We probably don't have time to talk about that, but I think her character in general is fun to read and it's a, it's a nice different kind of change of pace from some of these other guys. Yep. And I, I particularly like that at the end of the lecture series, we find out that she is uh, petitioning the Roshar scholars around the world to, make public their findings that this is her extending the first olive branch and saying that this is everything she knows 
Uh-huh. And if everybody could contribute, that'd be great. So it kind of shows that she's not only this queen of machines, right? That she's also trying to extend olive branches all across Roshar and pool humanity's knowledge. Yeah, it's almost like she's got a voice in her head saying, unite them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is also another really cool application to what I feel like a Armageddon type situation would be in our world where there's a few people like scholars specifically trying to get people to come together, trying to share knowledge, being like, yo, people, we got mm-hmm. this going on. We need to do something about it. And you're you got just- like, you got Elon Musk and uh, Mark Zuckerberg just uh, emailing <laughs> other tech head industries. Yeah. Elon Musk would definitely be involved in that. <laughs> so one thing, yeah. if the world's ending, Elon Musk has his fingerprints all over it. <laughs> you know, he'd be like, he'd be like, I got tested twice. One of them was positive. One of them was negative. <laughs> it's all fake. Yeah. The, the great uniter is going to be Joe Rogan. <laughs> there it is. So there it is. So I think that one thing that I also appreciate about Navani is that similar to these other kind of internal struggles that we see other characters taking on, we always see her going back to, I wonder if they're going to see me as an actual scholar and not just as somebody who kind of guides them. Because she always says, I'm Uh not that smart. I just know how to ask the right questions or I just know how. And so like, at what point does she just say- She's a total executive personality type. Yeah. But I think she also has to take some ownership and say, hey, I am that smart. I am able to bring out the best in people. I I deserve the accolades that I get, you know? Honestly, I feel the total way in my, I feel the same way in my day job where I have a lot of coworkers who are way smarter than me, but I'm pretty good at talking to everyone and getting everyone to speak the same language. But I always have these lingering feelings of inadequacy where it's like, oh, these guys are way smarter than me. You know, what am I doing here? I, I don't deserve to be on these teams. Yeah, what do they what do they call that? Is it isn't there like a isn't there like a thing where it's like imposter syndrome, right? Like even if you're super qualified, you still feel like an Probably. imposter. Yeah, okay. I feel like you just diagnosed me. <laughs> I just wanted to tell a little anecdote about Steven for listeners to let you know how smart Steven is. I remember in high oh, school, gosh. senior year, senior year, I you probably don't remember this, Steven. But I had never gotten a higher score than Steven on a test. Do you remember this? And I think uh, all keep on going. and we got a test back and I had scored like a 98 on it, like done really well. That was a tricky test. And I was like, this might be the day that I finally beat Stephen Merrill and a test and it comes back. And Stephen was the only one in the class. I think in all the like sections of the class that got a hundred on the test, man, that's messed up for me, Josh. I apologize for that. <laughs> well, I, th- I think we all thought that Josh was going to say that Stephen got a 34 on the ACT and went back to retake it. Oh yeah, that that happened. Uh, that that's yeah, that might have happened. But uh, yeah, enough enough about man, enough about me. Let's uh, to close <laughs> to close on Navani. So I think one of the unanswered questions going forward here, there's I, I would say there's two big ones for her. One is what's going on with this spear that she got from Zeth, that is the same one that Gavilar gave to him back in the day. There's something going on here. It's not void light. It's something else. And then two is. Who wrote to her on the span read telling her to to stop, right? Telling yeah, like her that she was, you know, messing with the spren in an unholy way. Spren. I'm yeah. convinced that was a spren. I, okay, so I'm convinced that it's either a spren or those scholars way back in like Way of Kings that were like measuring the the flame spren or whatever it was. <laughs> those random scholars. Yeah. Those random scholars. 
Phantology guarantee right there. Chance that it's an Amian? Yeah. They're, Josh can't know. speak about this. So <laughs> they're very concerned about protecting the Dawn Shard, you know, so I don't know if they're more if they're too concerned about other yeah, parts of Roshar. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Spren probably is more likely, especially considering our next character, Shalon, will be leading this expedition into Shadesmar. So wait, Shalon. Wait, I have another prediction for that. Do you think it is Maya? Maya is riding to Navani. And she's she, the friend. Oh, Aiden has succeeded in in bringing her back from being a dead eyes. Well, Adolin doesn't know about it then. So she's Maya has this ability already. I mean, look, last time we saw Maya, she was just screeching at the top of her lungs. She didn't really seem all that coherent. It's been a year, man. Okay, it has sorry, been a year. That's the crackpot right, theory. So Shalon, Shalon, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the crackpot theories. I think we we encourage those. She's got this uh, three persona now. We have this uh, Namaker for the combination of Radiant, Veil, and Shallan. But it's really concerning here because there seems to be a fourth persona lurking that she gives a name to called Formless. And the Phantology guarantee that I've given on the pre-release episodes is that this Formless persona is the real Shallan. And she is the one who's kind of perpetuated some of these things unbeknownst to us now. And she also could be Thyatikar, the ghost bud leader. So that might be a crackpot theory, but there's something going on here with this fourth persona. Yeah, this is very concerning. The, the other more on the nose thing that I think is very likely is that that fourth persona is the spy that is infiltrating for the ghost bloods. Mm, yeah, could because- be that, could be that. That she killed Ileal or whatever. Sadius Yala, yeah. Yala, yeah. Yeah. You had the vowels, right? <laughs> the Ileal from Wheel of Time. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that that's the case. And I also do really like the theory that, and when you say like, is the actual Shalon, I mean, I think Shalon as like a person has been around, like that's always been her name, you know, like in her family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that the persona, the the part of herself and forgive me if I'm speaking about this in like terms that aren't technically correct in terms of the actual diagnosis, but like uh-huh. the actual part of her personality that was controlling her or that was in the forefront when she killed her mom and dad and um, went through right. some trauma that we have yet to find out is formless. Yeah, Vale has thought back to this and encouraged Shalon to remember. Shalon's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. And then there's also these thoughts about formless. I could see that, Josh. Maybe that's the better theory. That's the phantology guarantee. So here's my question. It kind of seems like, I'm trying to think of like a gif that this happens with or something, but like, it seems like Sanderson is just trying to one-up himself on how crappy Shalon's past can be, right? Like we find out that she killed her mom. Oh, that sucks. We find out that she killed her dad. Oh man, that sucks even more. Like, what else is this? Gosh, yeah, you know, yeah. like just fair. give her past a break. I, it's kind of bugging me. Like, how how much worse can you get than like patricide and matricide? You know? Yeah, Brando definitely likes to put his characters through the ringer here. Yeah, I don't. It's gonna be something good. I mean, something bad. <laughs> so the other theory that I like uh, about what's gonna happen with Shalon in the future, so. Mraze has told her that she needs to go to this Fortress of Lasting Integrity, which is the home base of the Honor Spren. We haven't seen it yet. Obviously, I mean, uh, we'd assume later in this book. 
And there she will find Restaris, who is this guy who's somehow connected to the ghost bloods. And I think this is her father. I think her father's still alive somehow, and he's there because Murray seems so certain that once Shalon locates this person, that she will join their side and he won't have to worry about keeping secrets from her or anything. And so this is going to be huge, whatever it is. But I think it's her dad somehow. Yeah. What about her mom? Could Yeah, could could be as well. So do you think that she might have like sent her dad to Shadesmar? Like when, when she was killing him? When she was strangling him? Yeah. Strangling Gosh, him? I don't remember the, the body detail. We always need to keep track of the bodies after people die in fantasy literature. Well, we didn't see Yasna's body, so we knew we always knew she was alive in Words of Radiance because we never saw the body. I don't remember the bodies of her parents. Could you like nail somebody to Shadesmar? Do you think that she? I don't know. This is kind of getting crackpot. Don't know, but, yeah, but uh, we'll, we'll see. That's what we're looking forward to going forward. The expedition. Yeah. Yep, the expedition. What about? Could it be Hoyd slash Wit in lasting in- integrity? Well, why? Because Wit is right there. We've already seen him in part one. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Shalon also learned some more Cosmere details from Marais, from the notebook. And here's one thing. I mean, this is where Brandon's always kind of walked the line between we've got a Stormlight book that's its own story. You can enjoy that. And then we've got all the Cosmere stuff, which is its a whole additional level. They've always been kind of separate, but now it's not really separate anymore. Like, if you're just reading the Starlight books, you're going to be like, what was that chapter? That made no sense to me. Mm, no, you can still follow the main narrative. There's some pretty big things. I mean, the, the conversation that Kaladin and Zyle have and Shallan and Marais and the notebook, like those are very large Cosmere-related things. They're just big to us because we know the other side of what's going on. You know, like, I think if you're just reading it, like, you'd still be following the narrative of the chapter just fine. Yeah, okay, that's that's fair. I guess for me, it's just so big. It's like, how could you not love this? <laughs> I guess I guess if you're a Discord, if you're in Discord or you've only read the Stormlight books, reach out to us and let, you, let us know if you're confused. I actually, yeah. I might ask, again, I, I know I've talked about this. My father-in-law has not read any of the other cosmere books so i could ask him yeah same with my dad i'll run this by him see what he thinks hey, we need a father and father-in-law feature <laughs> next episode yeah. yeah yeah for sure cosmere noobs with phantology <laughs> yeah. Ooh, burn the one thing i will say is just in his live stream tonight the rhythm of war release stream i should say sanderson was saying that he that when he started out writing, he was really afraid of continuity stuff because in the nineties it was a big no, no and authors really tried to stay away from it. And so that's kind of how he started off his career. And you can definitely see that like Miss porn, like uh, Hoyt is just a beggar or an informant. Mm -hmm. But now I think he's a lot more confident with that kind of stuff, partly because he's grown up as an author. I think partly because of the MCU partly because of just the way that the media landscape has changed in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, I think he always wanted to do it, but he there wasn't an appetite for it. So he snuck it in there enough. So he was hoping one day he could. And now he's yeah. killing it. So it was also interesting. One of the recent uh, YouTube videos that Sanderson made or interviews he gave, somebody asked him who he would compare himself to or who he would hope that somebody would compare him to. And he said, Stan Lee who is obviously the creator behind 
most of the Marvel um, stories that mm-hmm. we read about. So, yeah, very telling that that's kind of who he aspires to be like. Yeah. I think he also mentioned Stephen King as someone who does a really good job of the, the continuity series. Okay, next character. Let's talk about Adolin. So Adolin starts off by almost blowing it for Shallan's undercover mission to infiltrate the Sons of Honor. So we didn't even really talk about the Sons of Honor. They got offed pretty quickly and seemed kind of <laughs> pathetic. I'm really disappointed in the Sons. Yeah, man. Took a big L. But yeah, I mean, to be guys. fair, they, they did have, you know, their leaders have not been doing too well either. Gavilar, gone. I mean, Am- Amaram, wasn't Amaram a Son of Honor dude yep, as well? Yep, He's Amaram. So, so it's kind of Sadius. Sadius not directly involved, but yeah. Okay. Uh, his wife, yeah. Yale. I'm kind of wondering if uh, Sanderson meant for the Sons of Honor to kind of be defeated in the last book with the death of Andrew. I forgot to do it. <laughs> well, I don't know if it, like it just didn't really work or if beta readers were like... Got to tie up a loop, loose end here. Yeah, yeah. Of just being like, okay, we need some sort of more of a resolution. You know, like, oh, I'll throw this in the climax sequence I have going on in the beginning of the fourth book. Josh was saying that there's even more that was supposed to be in the standard launch from Oathbringer. <laughs> anyway, so those guys are gone. Adolin had a little bit of a part in that mission. Honestly, for me, the biggest thing was Adolin's rescue of Kaladin during the Depression. I thought that was fun. And then this brew, this brewing conflict with his father after the release of Oathbringer, which was probably a bestseller, but at the same time, uh, yeah, you killed my mom. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I also enjoyed the scene when, like, him and Kaladin and Shalon were at the pub and they're like trying to ship Kaladin to all the, uh-huh. to everybody. And also like you had, you also saw how, how Adolin and Shalon were making the relationship work. You know what I mean? So. And you saw how popular Adolin was. He knew everyone's name there. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, Prince Adolin, we love that guy. He like brought a birthday present for somebody, like just whips out of his jacket pocket. He's a yeah. real stand-up guy. I mean, initially, yep. I didn't like Adolin as much. I thought it was kind of boring, but I think it's kind of hard not to like Adolin. He's really grown on me. Yeah. Okay, so his dad, Dalinar, real big step back from Oathbringer, where he was the main focus. And so he's not really a viewpoint character. He's not a viewpoint character at all in the first part, at least. We see him still. He's made some advancements. He can create a perpendicularity whenever he wants. And when he does, he creates this ominous, mysterious tone that Navani observes and thinks is interesting. We don't know what this really means. He makes the hard but appropriate decision to retire Kaladin, who needs some help at this point. So he's still a strong leader, but uh, you know, I guess we're not sure if he's going to make the right decision here with Teravangian. Does he trust him? Does he not? Please don't trust him. I mean, this is this looks like a disaster forming potentially. Well, we do see him taking the Mink's advice, and you know he he kind of needed a second set of eyes to confirm him confirm to him what he was he kind of already knew. Yeah, come on, man, you gotta have some faith in pa- in Papa Dal here. You know, I don't think that's gonna stick, Ben. <laughs> no, have some Papa faith Dal? in who? Papa Dal. Yeah. He's he's kind of he's grown into be more of like a patriarch type figure to our characters. I feel like oh oh Papa Dal. Papa oh, didn't Dal. even didn't even understand what you were saying. Yeah, that I I don't think that's gonna stick. For some <laughs> reason, Kaladin has the nickname of Cal, but 
the Dalinar can't have the nickname of Dal? Cal and Dal. Maybe if they had a stronger relationship, that's one thing that I wish for Kaladin is if he could really open up with Dalinar, be a little more vulnerable with him. They've got some similar issues in their past. I think so too, but Dalinar kind of blew it with Kaladin, in my opinion, in uh, Words of Radiance, when he locked when he shut shut down the boon seeking Kaladin. You know, <laughs> just like straight straight to the prison for you. That was yeah, pretty messed up, man. It, it was a messed up thing for Kaladin to do as well. I mean, come on, read the room a little bit. <laughs> uh, Another okay. thing with Dalinar is it seems like it's hinting at an Oath Pact reform, which is something Phantology has guaranteed will happen. Our current heroes will, in fact, reform the Oath Pact at the end of the first sequence of books, and it's already setting it up. We're talking about the Oath Pact. We're talking about Dalinar's powers in relation to forming the Oath Pact. It's coming together. I'm telling you. Yeah, man. Guaranteed. Okay, so any other characters? Yeah, we can talk about... Let's talk about Venli a little bit. Venli was huge. This is going to be her book. Actually, I'll say she wasn't huge in the first part, but she will be huge. So she got, I think, two different points of view chapters, and she has a really nice look into what the fused culture society is like. Fascinating. So I think that this is the big hurdle that Sanderson has to kind of clear in this book. Steven's on record saying that he doesn't even really care about the Parshendi. Yeah, so, I said the Parshendi were boring. Yeah, so we kind of have to, we got to get uh, like a vested interest here. We know that that she is going to kind of try and set up this society that maybe doesn't seek to over, like, kill all the humans, but maybe live, live peaceably. Something I've thought about is that maybe she's going to try and recruit Kaladin in this, ta- in this. I don't know. It's it's unclear what her kind of end goal is here. So it seems to me she's trying to get the listeners, her people, the remnants of her people, away from the fuse. She hates the fuse now. She's like, I've made a huge, tiny mistake here, and I need to get the heck out of here and help my help my guys somehow. She's a will shaper. She has the ability to travel through Shadesmar, even though she hasn't really done it yet. So that's what I think is going to happen. She's going to get into Shadesmar with a group of these guys somehow. She's going to come across the expedition. There's going to be some kind of trading of information, something like yeah. I mean, it seems. Am I wrong here? Like this seems possible. Yeah, my my uh, observation was that she's a definite Moses-like figure. You know, she's a mm-hmm. prophet. She starts off as a prophet, like kind of declaring the words of Odium, and then. It sounds sounds like she's going to lead her people out of bondage and into freedom in the wilderness. Josh sounds like a phantology guarantee is that she's going to kill uh, a fused as they seek to Ooh. like whip a human, and that's going to that's going to be the okay. impetus yeah. for that would be really on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sanderson, yeah. bless your heart if you go for that. I will be impressed. Yes. And kind of cringe at the same time, but go for it. It's all right. I've been impressed and cringed at some things that Sanderson has done in the past, too. Stretch forth thy hand. Yes. Oh, man. Stretch forth thy hand. Please, please do not do that. Anyway, with Venli, we get a look into the fused. So they've got nine orders, which I actually just realized today the nine orders have got to directly mirror the Knights Radiant orders. Which one's being left out? It's probably the Bondsmith order, right? Because the fused don't have access to the Stormfather or the Night Watcher, or the sibling. So that's probably the direct comparison there. But what if they do? What if they are able to bond, like the sibling somehow 
take over year three. We know that's their plan already here with Raniel, the fused who's coming in and leading this expedition into the tower to do exactly this. So I'm concerned about the fused. Yeah, I think you're right to be confused. They're the pretty bad guys throughout the series. Uh, shut up, Josh. You know what I mean. No, but seriously, I think that um, up until this point, they've just kind of been cannon fodder a little bit. Well, cannon fodder and, and just, I feel like the Parsenia have been cannon fodder and the Fuse have just been kind of the void bringers, you know, of like the the big bad what people like are afraid of, but we haven't seen them a lot. We haven't seen them acting intelligently at all. I mean, we've, we got introduced to them in Oathbringer and we saw some of their flexing when they're, you know, fighting Moash. But even then, Moash just took down Leshwi without, with us. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of, we saw that kind of like the final batter, battle of Oathbringer as being like Odium led, right? Like Odium was the one that was like setting everything up. He was like picking mm-hmm. his cha- like challenger. He was, it wasn't really a, a showdown with a fused as much as there it There were some fused introduced. I mean, there was the light wheeler fused. There were the edge dancer fused, probably some other ones that we saw as well, just briefly. But yeah, now we're going to, I assume we see all nine of these guys and they're built out a little bit more. Yeah, so what did you guys think about the fact that the nine were like entombed in like a, I don't know, like. Yeah, what's up, Three-Eyed Ravens? <laughs> yeah. Say. That was pretty cool. It made it real creepy. I don't know. Hopefully there yes. is like a reason for it that we find out about later on. But that scene in my head was, that was way creepy. Yeah. I could not picture anything other than some levels on Halo where you're inside of the more alien uh, type settings. It That was all I could picture. Oh, for sure. That's a, that's an apt description. Yeah. Child of the 2000s, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So any other any other characters? I, if not, I I think we should do our right. best here. So so briefly, we've got Renarin. We've seen some other uh, juggling lights around. He's got different abilities than the Truth Watcher. He comes in and saves Kaladin from Moash. Kind of shows Moash who he could have been. Another, another crossover from... Mistborn, if you can kind of remember that. No spoilers there. And then Yasna comes in with Wit. There's some talk of like, uh, are they together? Sanderson has posted a Reddit post about this specifically. I'm not going to spoil that because it does talk more about things that are going on there. So let's not talk too much about her. She does want to free the slaves. So another Moses crossover. I, I also thought it was really interesting that Renarin is still being kept as a little bit of a secret. You know, I feel like Sanderson's mm-hmm. just holding the cards pretty close to his chest with Renarin. Like we're finding out more and more about him, but I just wish we knew a lot more about him because I think that there's going to be some really important stuff with the corruption that's going on with this brand. Yes, definitely. Okay. Worst of the best. Uh, why don't you guys, let's, let's change it up a little bit this time. Tell me what you maybe didn't like as much about this part one. And then let's say what we're looking forward to most in part two or the rest of the book it's hard to know what's in part two only so tell me what you're looking forward to after reading part one the worst of the best with so many exemplary moments in this book it's almost unfair to nitpick but that's the segment it's the pimple on the princess the stain on the satin and the terror before the triumph The unfortunate portion of an otherwise stellar performance. Someone has to point it out. Okay, so my thing I didn't like as much 
was I'm going to, this, this might be kind of a hot take, but I wish we would have almost gotten more time with the Parshendi to really kind of build out those characters. Cause mm, I feel yeah. like there's, and this is going to lead into what I'm looking forward to more is um, seeing these bad guys that we were introduced to briefly over the course of just really one chapter be the main antagonist of the rest of the, this book. I really hope that they come and really provide some, some creepy, I, I almost feel like this could be more of like, not a horror type book, but more of a suspense, like more small scale conflicts where you're like dealing with these uh, really creepy characters. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. And then what are you looking forward yeah, to? What are you looking forward to? Well, that that was what I'm kind of looking forward to. Oh, these okay. kind of oh, combo, combo. Well, yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. So the thing I wish that would be more build up, but I'm really hoping we see these smaller scale conflicts with these really creepy, like uh, vengeance filled fuse that we got introduced to. Yeah. Josh is still doing worst of the best correctly. How we first conceived it. It's kind of morphed <laughs> into just like, tell me a bad thing and tell me a good thing. So props <laughs> to you, Josh. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. So I, I, I will like kind of similarly set this up. The thing I was most annoyed by was the fact that we are told that Shalon has yet another secret that is yet to be discovered. Cause I think yeah. we kind of, kind of ridden that horse to death but uh, as much as i hate it i am looking forward to seeing what that secret is and and watching how she resolves that and hopefully swears the fourth ideal after she has uh, kind of admitted that truth to herself all right i am unable to get it together with both of my bad and good things being the same thing so i'm just going to throw it out there the thing that i didn't like was the small detail of Kaladin having yet another failed relationship in the time skip with Lynn, who is one of the Windrunner squires. Let's see a, let's see this on camera a little. I mean, how many things does Kaladin have to, how many of these relationships is he going to have that don't really turn into anything? Or let's at least get some details. And you're referencing the relationship that he had as a slave, right? That is, yeah, the relationship we've heard her with, name like uh, one time. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, dang. I I remember her name in the Oathbringer. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's why you only got a thirty-four on the ACT, Stephen. I got a thirty-five, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I okay, so so there's that. Look look up her name on Coppermine. Sorry, can't do it right now. But what I'm looking forward to. Oh yeah, Josh. Well, I was just gonna say, are we just admitting? Is like Sanderson admitting to us all that he's not even gonna try with these romance relationships anymore? I mean, he's got Adolin and Shallan going. That's a thing. Yeah, and Navani and Dal. And Navani and Dal. Navani and Dalinar. That's a good one. Those guys are good together. I like it. But there's no romance. It's not like they're just sizzling with like. Dude, it, it ended part one with them well, melting okay, into each other, you, man. Maybe you need more like sexual stuff going on here or something, Josh. No, but come on, I'm, saying, yeah, I'm just saying that like, you never really feel like they're in love. You just kind of feel like they're in love. Like they're. It's like I don't oh, know, man. I. I like the end of chapter 19 right before the end of the first part where they were talking together and like you could tell these guys are on the same page and they know each other really well yeah yeah i don't know josh you you have a next level relationship where you're just like not even no, seeing the sparks no, 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 from no. these other guys i know I, i'm just saying that like if you took like they there's just i guess that if you took the love story out of their relationship nothing would change about it it would just be like josh, oh, josh no. is hoping for the steel heart love like the relationship that happened in Steelheart. Oh, that was, yeah, that was some yeah. good stuff there. That was Josh why I read Steelheart. Yeah, exactly. 
Josh wants one of those cheesy like <laughs> relationships going on here. He doesn't he doesn't understand the adult relationships. No, we just need some sort of like here's a relationship that we're gonna provide some sort of drama around. And we just haven't gotten that. I mean they're kind of what anyway, this is a whole nother subject. That's fair. That's fair. Josh, yeah. you could have chosen that for your worst of the best. All right. Leave Steven alone. Sorry, Steven. Josh, you part of Bachelor Nation over there? Dude, there's a new episode on tonight that I haven't watched yet. Ah, busted. All right. The best thing, again, sorry, I wasn't able to hold to the worst and the best being the same thing. But the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is, you've probably heard this before from me, I want the tower to come alive and I just need this to happen so bad. The tower is so cool. We've got drawings of it. If you've just read the pre-release or you're just listening, please refer to the actual art. Sanderson and team and Isaac took a long time today talking about through all of the art. I don't mean long time like it was too long. I mean long time like they could they were dedicated to it and it's really cool. It's not something you see in other books. I mean, there are several different pieces of artwork to commission just for a fantasy book. So it's really cool. And there's a lot that's just your theory based. I need your theory to come alive and to start moving around and doing cool stuff. So uh, please, can we get that soon? Awesome. All right. So now we're going to hang up and immediately read 300 more pages each, finish off part two, and then we'll, we'll try to keep these reviews coming in a pretty timely manner. So we keep everyone captivated. And once you finish, you have to find out our take on the individual parts as and well. And here's my thing. If you want to buy us an energy drink by joining Patreon for a month, <laughs> go for it. Because <laughs> we're going to need a Blender habit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you like Phantology, you can find more of us at www.phantologybooks.com and you can support us with energy drinks or whatever else you'd like us to, uh, to contribute to the podcast at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. All right, guys. Back to reading. Let's do it. All right. All right.